0: How do you feel about Bob Lazar? Bob Lazar is the reason we know about Area 51. He says he back-engineered crafts uh, back in the 80s, I want to say, 80s or 90s. And he thought they were going to kill him. So he came out and came public with all this stuff. What are your thoughts about Bob?
1: Two things. One, I don't think about Bob Lazar. <laughs> <laughs> the the second thing is, um, and I should preface this by saying I haven't I haven't done a really big deep dive on Bob Lazar mostly because I haven't felt the need to, but I just, I, I, I stay away from Bob Lazar. Like that. He seems like a LARPer. Like if I was just to say my knee jerk reaction, he seems like a LARPer. Um, I don't necessarily trust much of anything that comes from Bob Lazar. I mean, what we do know is that guy was involved in fraud, that the guy was involved with the law. The guy was involved in some shady shit, and I can't yet go that far. I mean, if I, if it's proven that Bob Lazar is exactly what he said he is, man, like I will eat my shoe, <laughs> you know, like, right. wow, I will just, I'll get down on the ground and I will apologize to anyone who is a Bob Lazar fan and say, you were right, <laughs> but I just don't, I, I don't, I don't see it.
0: Right. I was, I was in that same boat up until maybe a couple of years ago and when that documentary came out and then hearing uh lazar on joe rogan i i am on the bob lazar bandwagon now i feel like he was involved in some crazy stuff but i think a lot of the stuff has he's been proven right over the 30 years since he came out that's my opinion anyway okay (laughs) (laughs) i'm not gonna get you all right fair fair point okay so that one you're gonna put in in not very credible territory the one in aurora i know you covered this one in your series tell me about that one that one was a a crash a spaceship crashed and then they supposedly buried one of the bodies there
1: yeah aurora texas i believe it was 1897 um an associated press report went out uh nationwide and then worldwide that a spacecraft had crashed in aurora the occupant of this vehicle was reportedly buried in an unmarked grave, and the story goes that uh, there were fragments of the spacecraft strewn throughout, etc. And this garnered a lot of press uh, worldwide uh, about this UFO crash. And Mufan later went back to the scene of the uh, of the alleged craft and supposedly acquired fragments of metal and alloys and had them analyzed and. Supposedly found some weird stuff in the metal fragments. It should be noted that this Aurora, Texas uh, was losing money. Uh, they had anti- they had anticipated getting a train station built at their city mm-hmm. and that the trains would run through their city, thus bringing people, tourists, etc. The train uh, company did not do that. They bypassed the city completely, and the city, uh, it it could be said that the city, someone put out this story to garner attention and put Aurora, Texas on the map. Could be the counter-argument of what, you know, occurred.
0: I did not know that, actually. So do you put that in the skeptical, or do you put that... Yeah. Yeah? Okay.
1: I put in the skeptical, with the only outlying thing being the metals that MUFON collected and had analyzed and... Um, a professor, I forget, I forget which, I think it might've been the university of Iowa, some university, uh, put out a quote saying he found quite, quote, quite puzzling, um, uh, alloys within the metal stuff. He couldn't explain.
0: Are these little pieces uh, that they found? Some of the pieces are the, like the size of your hand. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Um, and there
1: was, oh, by the way, another outlying thing is there was a, a in fact, a unmarked they, they did a ground penetrating radar at the site and did find an unmarked grave from around that time. But it had deteriorated so much that they couldn't determine exactly what was under the ground. But it was an unmarked grave and they were never given a permit to exhume the grave. No one would allow them to dig. So the answer is still buried in Aurora, Texas.
0: Do you think they'll ever let them exhume it? What's the reason they won't let them? Do we know?
1: I mean, to answer it logically, probably because they don't give credence to the History Channel's claims of aliens being in their graveyard. You <laughs> okay, know? right. <laughs> they, they don't want to even give credence to that would be the logical answer.
0: Right, okay. I can I can get down with that. Let's go to 1947, the the motherlode, Roswell. What do you think is going on here?
1: okay. Roswell 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 um okay so let me just say two facts and I always focus on the facts okay fact number one this is true without a doubt the U.S. Air Force the military U.S. military put out a press release to local press in New Mexico that a quote crashed saucer had been recovered um, outside Roswell, it actually isn't anywhere near Roswell. It's actually near a little town called Corona. It's actually northwest of Roswell, but they said that in their initial press release, a crashed saucer. Super specific. They literally said that within 24 hours, a new press release. This is fact number two. A new press release is issued saying, "No, never mind. It was actually a weather balloon." Mm-hmm. That both of those things are true, and you have to wonder, like what the hell made you say saucer? Like I could, I could see you going a balloon type object or something Yeah, to say, so sa- such a specific description of something you found in the desert. And then to change it to fragments, little thin foil fat fragments of a weather balloon. How did you get saucer out of that? This right. wasn't a, a, a crank who released that statement. That was the U S military who released that statement. So you have to go, oh, "Okay, that's weird. Why did they say that?" Now, mm-hmm. all the stories that came out of what really happened there, uh, I think maybe 70% are not true or or embellished. I I tried to read Philip Corso's book, The Day After Roswell, mm-hmm. which is supposedly the tell-all book about what happened. I mean, ex-military guy reveals all after he died, you know. Right. I got halfway through that book and I just couldn't finish it. It was like, I, I, I'm sorry to say to people out there who, like, love the book, but it's such bullshit. Like, it just came up. It came across as just embellished, honky donkey bullshit. Oh, right. Like, I, the way it's written, there's just unbelievable stuff. Like, unbelievable claims in that book, backed up by nothing but one guy's word. I, I mean, the wackies. I, okay, so, for example, you know, Infrared. You know, green night vision, you know, in reality, how we use that. Mm -hmm. He claims in this book that came from the alien craft. They like reverse engineered part of the craft. And that's where that's where we get our night vision. And then he says um, that he says like coaxial cables that we currently use for like Internet. Or no, I'm sorry. Fiber optic. Fiber optics. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fiber optics. He says those were wires that were taken out of the craft. No one knows this, but they're actually using UFO technology that was pulled from this lasers, lasers, lasers that we use in the medical field, in the military. This guy claims we got lasers from this UFO also. And I'm like, no, you didn't. <laughs> lasers were like in the 18, whatever hundreds, like first discovered, like I I couldn't finish the book because I was like, this is the truth. No, it's not.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think x-rays too. Didn't he say
1: x-rays? I don't know. There's so many claims in this book. And the first half of the book, honestly, is good. Like I was kind of into it. I was like, okay, this is good. And then when he gets into like the reverse engineer stuff and he's quoting exact word for word conversations that had occurred 50 years prior for pages and i was like how did you remember every word spoken mm. for like five pages and it's like 50 years later like i could see you paraphrasing someone said this but he's direct quoting people for pages from 50 years ago and i'm like i'm not sure your these quotes could be a completely accurate you couldn't attribute them completely the book pissed me off <laughs> i don't know if you can tell
0: (laughs) (laughs) do you find anybody out of roswell credible what about uh jesse marcel he was the guy in the picture i believe holding up the quote-unquote weather balloon so he says he took um some of the pieces home with him because he Mm -hmm. was part of the cleanup he took them home showed his family um i believe an i-beam and then a couple the memory metal you would
1: he would crunch it up in his fist and then open his fist and it would just like, bloop, like unfold and, and heal itself. The self healing mills or whatever.
0: Yes. Like,
1: yeah. Okay. I can, I can get into that. Like I, I'm open to that. I can get into that, but it's like, I, without a doubt, I believe there was a cover up. Right. I'll just say that whatever happened, the military put a lid on it for some reason, you know? It, yeah. You know, in, in, uh, Annie Jacobson's, New York Times best-selling book on Area 51. She says, she claims in that book that what crashed at Roswell was a Russian vehicle, uh, saucer shaped that was meant to create a a war of the worlds type panic in the American public. That Russia was trying to test to see if they could enact mass hysteria during the Cold War or the early stages of the Cold War uh, on the American public, the saucer. And then the literally in the book, she says the occupants inside were deformed children selected by uh, Russians to scare us, essentially.
0: Hmm. How how do you feel about that theory? I don't know. It's almost as crazy as an alien
1: crash, to be honest. Right. Right. But I could see that happening, you know, War of the worlds in the 1940s. Um, you know, that was still like a thing. And if you remember the first time I was at HG Wells, uh, when that, when that hit the radio waves, war of the worlds was presented as if it was happening. There was no, uh, context or, or there was no disclaimer that this, what you're about to hear is not a real news report. Right. And it, it did cause mass panic and it did cause cause fear across the country and i think her i mean annie in her book proposes that russia knew this and was trying to tap into that or at least test that and so they crashed a via a spy a spy craft was able to penetrate our airspace crashed in new mexico with the hope that it it would and that would match what the the military originally said. The military originally put out a press release saying a saucer had crashed. And then I think the military probably realized, oh, shit, this is probably Russia trying, and we're doing exactly what they want us to do, which is release this to the public. So let's put a lid on it. and And so I could see that as a plausible
0: explanation. Yeah, that actually makes sense. I completely brushed off her theory, but the way you explain it right there, that actually makes sense now. Now I don't know what to think.
1: Yeah, neither do I. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's the problem with so much of it, is I think some of it can be explained, but some of it can't, and it it just messes with you. It's just crazy. But now that we know that it's real, there's w- another one I totally skipped over, I wanted to ask you about, because I learned this from your show, uh, Christopher Columbus. He has documents of seeing him while he was sailing over to America. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that blew my mind. So when I, when I was doing the uh, research for our USO episode or water UFOs, this, this is real. Uh, Christopher Columbus in his logbook wrote that one night they saw a, a illuminated object in the sky. And the way it's described is a, a, a lit candle bobbing up and down up in the sky which uh, eventually vanished, but it, it it struck everyone in the crew enough to include
0: it in the logbook. It's so crazy. How many, do no. we know how many times it's in there? Is it just the one time? Just the one time. God, this is bonkers, and that's in the fourteen hundreds. Um, yeah. Okay, so let's come back here now. One of the most documented, I believe, is Rendlesham Forest, and you cover it in a couple episodes, and it's it's unbelievable. Can you tell us a little bit about Rendlesham Forest?
1: Sure. Rendlesham Forest is, there are uh, two air bases uh, in England on the eastern coast of England. And between these two air bases is a forest called Rendlesham Forest. The air bases are, uh, one of the air bases is controlled by the United States. Uh, Britain allowed us to have an, an occupied airspace, uh, air base there. And, uh, around Christmas, uh, Oh God, when was this 19, uh, I want to say 1990 anyway, it was around Christmas and the, uh, one of the guards guard posts saw what he thought was a crashed, uh, aircraft in Rendlesham forest. He saw light, a reddish light, and he thought it was fire. And so he reported to, to base commander and everyone that he thought a crashed uh, uh, thing had happened. And so uh, first on the scene were, uh, you know, Jim Jim Penniston, some other guys. And, you know, Jim's story of what he experienced in the forest that night is vastly different than what Colonel Holt uh, a couple nights later experiences I don't want to go into Penniston right now, but I'm just going to say. So they go out there. They claim they see a triangular craft hovering off the ground. The craft then takes off straight up and then zips off at light speed. They come back and report this. Colonel Halt at the time, who was you know he, he didn't want anything to do with UFOs. He, he thought he was like, "Well, oh, what is this? What are you guys pulling?" You know, like he thought it might have been a joke. Right. Um, a couple of days later, at a Christmas party. Soldiers come in, go right up to Colonel Halt, and they say, sir, it's back. What's back? The UFO is back oh, in Rendlesham Forest. But this time, Colonel Halt goes out himself to investigate it, and he had a tape recorder at the time, which he would uh, dictate, and then he would then later type. So he would you know, dictate into the tape recorder, go back to base, and type out uh, his thoughts. So he took the tape recorder with him, and he sees the object, and he's flabbergasted his jaw drops can't believe what he's seeing it's this weird object floating through the trees he said it looks like an eyeball that was blinking which is creepy yeah. and he, you can hear him on the audio and you can hear his men around him also like reacting to it and he's narrating what it looks like he's narrating what it's doing and then uh at some point it comes towards him and then at some point it darts off into a field and then to, it disappears and when it disappears like almost like fireworks explode from around it and I interviewed both of these guys I interviewed Colonel Halt I interviewed Jim Penniston um, Halt's testimony is what strikes me the most because he seemed he seemed the most like level-headed guy like he seemed like a guy that was just like a normal military guy and mm-hmm. had no reason or desire to see a UFO at all and it, in like Honestly, when you talk to Colonel Halt, it's like you're talking to your grandfather. He's just like a really cool guy. Right. And when you listen to his audio tape, it's just some chilling stuff.
0: Because he recorded the whole thing on his tape recorder while he was out, right? That's right. And the most striking part of the whole thing was, I don't, I don't remember, which one touched it and saw a bunch of zeros Pen- and ones? Yeah, that was Jim Peniston. Jim Peniston. Okay, so he touches it and he has this memory of seeing zeros and ones.
1: You should say You should preface that by saying... Tennyson claims
0: mm, okay, there's the <laughs> yeah. journalist, okay, right. yeah <laughs> so he claims that he has touched the the object, whatever it yeah. is, he sees a bunch of zeros yeah. and ones, he goes back and writes them all down into a notebook, and he forgets about it for the next thirty years or so, and then was it him that got it interpreted uh
1: no, oh uh so basically how the story goes is he was being interviewed by tel- some television program about his uh experience at from forest and while being interviewed for this documentary he pulls out his notebook and he's like oh i wrote it all down here like here i wrote you know the description i actually drew a picture of it here's the triangle that i drew 30 years ago and as the story goes the the producer of the documentary goes, oh, what are those ones and zeros? And he goes, oh, well, that's a different story. And then the story comes out that he saw all these ones and zeros in a vision. And the ones and zeros are then allegedly analyzed by an alleged expert who claims that they translate to coordinates around the world to important landmarks, such as like the the great pyramids of Giza, um the, the 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 columns of Apollo in Greece, uh et cetera, et cetera. The wow. Nasdaq lines in Mexico. So uh that's the story.
0: Wow. So I didn't realize that's what it was that it pointed to all of those. And didn't wasn't there a was there a message? Am I remembering this wrong? Was there a message in there also about Yeah
1: there was you're goddamn right there was a message. <laughs> The message said, eyes of our eyes, something about the, um, for the, for the future and persistence of humanity from the year 8100.
0: Oh my gosh. (laughs) So, theoretically, if that's what happened, this is not an extraterrestrial or is it? Or is it someone from the future? One of us from the future.
1: Jim Penniston says flat out he believes it was us from the future.
0: Oh my god! Huh? What do you what What are your thoughts on that? This is just insane.
1: Well, I think you just said it, man.
0: <laughs> do you strike? Does he strike you as as credible? Like, so I've
1: met a wide range of people who claim UFO stuff. Yeah, and you can tell usually right off the bat if they're bullshitting or if they're like, they've got something going on in their head, (laughs) you know? Um, and, and then you've got the people where you're like, well, actually, I don't know. This guy seems, this guy seems to believe, to believe it himself. Like he believes it. And so I, with Penniston, he didn't strike me as someone I could outright discredit. And so I was, I believe he believes it is as far as I'll go.
0: Okay. All right. So you believe, you believe he believes what he's saying. Yeah. Okay. All right. Man, that is, that is so wild. And these are, the more you dive into it, and you cover all of these so far in depth and have so much information on the basement office. Uh, everybody's got to check it out. It's so good. And there's, I, I know I've kept you probably a little longer than you thought. If, if I could just ask you a couple more. Travis Walton, the guy uh, for Fire in the Sky. Do you know, have you covered him at all? Yes. Okay, and what's your what's your thought? His story is he got abducted for a week maybe. Nobody could find him. Uh, 3 days I believe. 3 days. Okay. Nobody could find him and he comes back and he's got the story that he was abducted and kept in a spaceship basically and they ran tests on him. What's your feeling on Travis Walton's story?
1: It's tough because I you know, Walton's story is couched into the whole alien abduction Thing, folklore urban legends and i have a problem with the whole thing the whole concept of alien abduction and i'm nowhere near convinced that it's an actual phenomenon that's just me personally mm. looking into it and i believe there are actual rational scientific explanations for a lot of experiences people have um, and but with travis's story again i believe travis believes it Mm. I, I believe Travis believes it. And it's um I believe those around him believe it. And you know, it's when something is a big embellished lie, especially if if, if it's for financial reasons or whatever reason, mm. decades later someone's gonna crack. You know, right. There's gonna there's gonna be a falling out of friendship. There's gonna be a something and someone's gonna say, Yeah, that was bullshit. We just said that to help so and so. We, we just did this to sell a book or we just did this, blah, blah, blah. But everyone involved, all, all of the witnesses, the the other men who were there and witnessed it happen, no one cracked, you know, decades later. And they, you know, a lot of these guys passed lie detector tests and, you know, there's a whole debate to be said about lie detector tests, but they passed. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I mean, I believe they believe is what happened, happened, what they're saying.
0: Okay. There's one other one. Another big one was the school in South Africa. Okay, this is a good one. Yeah, this this is really great. good. One. I love this one. Yes, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll let you explain. One. I'll let you explain. You'll you'll do it better justice than I will, but this one is awesome.
1: Okay, so during recess at the aerial School in Zimbabwe, I believe in 1994, 60-plus um, uh, school children witness a elongated, perhaps tic-tac-shaped object at the edge of the woods, outside the school, and two occupants who fit the description of your classic gray aliens, um, who approached the children and spoke to them telepathically um, in their without you know in their spoke to them in their brains and um, and then left. And Dr. John Mack, who was an award-winning uh, psychologist, award-winning. I believe from Harvard um, went out and interviewed every child one by one. And they all tell the same story. And when they, when asked to draw what everything looked like, the craft, the aliens, they all draw more or less the same thing. It, their stories don't differ. And uh, the national Institute of medicine, you can look it up on their website. The, no, I'm sorry. The national Institute of health, NIH.gov. There is a published paper on mass hysteria in Africa. So in South and in African countries. And so it was a study on mass hysteria, mass hysteria being a real thing where a group, a large group of people become fearful of something that doesn't exist. It's an actual scientific thing. And they studied a few cases and Ariel school, 1994 was one of them. And it was the only one. The only case they couldn't definitively uh, say it was mass hysteria. Really? Yeah.
0: Whoa. And this is, and still to this day, these children still have the exact same story that they had back then. Yes. And now, some,
1: as adults, these children stick to their story.
0: Yeah. And something you pointed out—the pictures they drew—looks like the tic tac that we just got the video of.
1: Yeah. And what what's really unsettling to me is—I mean, I have kids. I have two kids, and like I know what a child's imagination's like, and I know that it differs from day to day, and what they're into today is different tomorrow, and how they describe something today is going to be different tomorrow. And the fact that these children look uh, shell shocked, and that they're the, the, the almost reverence that these super young school children talk about what they saw. And the fact that I mean, you bring in one child and ask them about something, and bring in another their their playmate. If it's a lie, you're going to get different stories, right. especially with like a, a, an 11, 12 year old. You're start, you're going to start to get varying stories, and you just didn't get that in this case. Sixty plus students. Yeah, that's all testified to this, right? You know, and then the and then that you have to up the ante when the telepathy comes in there. I mean. You've got students from all backgrounds, you know, uh, white, black, uh, multiple races. They're saying they spoke to us in our heads and and they said uh, humanity is not taking care of the planet. Humanity is hurting planet Earth. And we are very interested in humanity taking care of this planet is what they said the message in their heads was.
0: Oh, my gosh. And none of them were scared, right? They were all. They were like you said. They all had a reverence for it.
1: Yeah, the the students do speak about feeling fear in the initial encounter, but once the this is per the students, once the alien started speaking to them, like all their fear melted away, like they felt calm.
0: This is bonkers.
1: That case, out of all a lot of the cases I've looked at, that case is one of the handful that bothers me.
0: Right, because you can't you can't explain it away, and people have tried for when did was it in ninety the nineties or was it 94,
1: 1994 94.
0: and nobody's been able to explain it at all, and they've tried.
1: Uh, I'm they've tried like there were some assholes who said like oh it was like a meat it was a meteor they saw a meteor oh come on and it's like it's like what are you talking about dude like we're talking about something in the woods two people coming out of it. And these people talking to them telepathically. How does a meteor explain that? Right. That makes <laughs> no sense.
0: Okay. Before I let you go, we got to talk about the upcoming congressional report that we're supposed to receive. Do you think we're going to get anything out of this? No. No, I do not. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm, <laughs> you I'm afraid it's going to be quite the disappointment.
1: Well, uh, for a couple of reasons. Let's just start with lo- the logistical reason. One, it takes, as Lou Elizondo says, it's, it takes longer to remodel a kitchen than it does. Uh, then the time allotted these uh, these guys have had to come up with this report. A you know, um, right. they've only been given uh, a couple months since the mandate, and you're, they're supposed to like come up with a detailed report on decades worth of UFO sightings. Like, I don't think that's logistically feasible. Also, the UAP task force, which the Pentagon created, we're not talking about a department full of dozens of people. From what I understand from my sources, it's like two or three people, man. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it's tasked to do all of this. And so like, I could totally see a filing of of an extension happening, a preliminary like two pager saying, hey, this is serious. We're taking it seriously. We need more time, the end. I think if we get anything above that on on June 25th, I'll consider that a massive win. Like, wow, what a miracle. Like that right. you were able to do more than just two pages by then. <laughs> and you have to understand that there are still elements within the Pentagon who want none of this to come out for various reasons, but they just don't want it to come out. Roadblocks are still there in the Pentagon for what gets revealed to the public.
0: Right. Lou has been trying to get he's been at the forefront like you said yeah has he told you anything uh, I you just did a big interview with him was there anything that surprised you I guess that he said Lou said a lot
1: of things that surprised me in that interview I only want to focus on one because it was a personal passion of mine and, and because of that it blew me away mm-hmm. as a journalist I don't I rarely speak uh, re- I rarely uh, share my personal thoughts what I think personally right. which may or may not be unfounded uh, but, but one of my personal thoughts for the last year plus, maybe even two years, has been an obsession with the fact that humanity has a hubris that seeing is believing. And I don't believe that's so. Human beings, the human animal, can only perceive a certain spectrum of, uh, of reality. Our eyes are literally our eyes and brains can only perceive and see physically a certain amount of things, not everything. Mm-hmm. Hummingbirds can see colors that outside the rainbow. Hummingbirds can see colors that human beings have never seen, like a new color that you've never seen. Oh, wow. um, radio telescopes reveal nebula and, and 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 space objects that human beings will never be able to perceive with the naked eye technology is needed in order to see things that are right in front of our face, but we can't see them. And along that, those lines, I think that ties into UFOs. I believe that UFOs, this is just me speaking per- personally, I think there is evidence, anecdotal evidence that leads to the fact that they're there. They're right there. We just can't see them. We just can't interact with them because they're dialed into a different hurts they're dialed into a different dimension and we just can't see and i asked lou <laughs> oh my god in like my, my jaw drops because i didn't i didn't prompt him or push him in this direction i just said hey some people say it's man-made some say it's aliens from another galaxy what do you think and he says why does it have to be either of this there are a lot of things we can't see mm. that are right in front of our eyes and i was like no way he's actually saying what i think and um <laughs> he said maybe this is uh you know, maybe this is just a new discovery of something that we used to call sea monsters, like the giant squid and great white back before we understood what we were looking at, they were sea monsters, but now they have a scientific name. Uh, and he, and he said, maybe this is something what UFOs represent is, is something just like that. Something that we saw that we couldn't explain that will one day be explained and we'll, we'll recognize they were always here. So, something
0: that our it are you saying our brain is blocking it out basically because we can't comprehend it but that we're always seeing no, it no
1: no so the human brain the eyes the eyes that evolution have, has given us can only perceive uh, H, capital h lowercase z hertz, a certain hertz okay. of visual of visual spectrum. We can only see a certain light spectrum, certain color spectrum, a certain motion spectrum. There are lots of things, animals such as the hummingbird have a different hurts that they, their eyes and brain are wired differently. And so they perceive reality differently. And Mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, this was just published in National Geographic hummingbirds can see colors that human beings cannot, that, that are invisible to the human eye. And, and so there's already a precedent about it within, within the animal kingdom within mother nature. And Lou is basically saying what I believe, which is there's stuff in front of our eyes.
0: We can't see. Oh my gosh. That's enough to blow your, blow your mind, man. I know. I know. I know. Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> it is. It is awesome. And, it's, and we're finally getting to the point where I feel like we may get some answers relatively soon. Like you said, I don't think this report's going to be anything. But I think we're in the, on the right path to, be, to get these answers, I guess is what mm-hmm. I'm trying to say. So what, sure. What are you working on? Are you doing more episodes of The Basement Office? Can we expect those anytime soon?
1: I hope so. I think so.
0: Okay. I don't know. (laughs) Okay. So it's undecided so far. (laughs) Dang. I check every Wednesday, every Wednesday I check for a new episode. Yeah,
1: I mean, COVID is kind of like, because we're not, I can't physically go to the basement office set right now. Like I just can't physically do that. So that set us back. And then there's just like, I don't know. I think we're all waiting for uh, the 25th to happen and you know and then we'll like reconvene on like how to handle the show if the government comes out and reveals literally a hundred percent all of the truth about ufos on june 25th which is like two and a half weeks from now then like what's my show
0: oh right
1: (laughs) yeah good point
0: you know yeah i guess it would be yeah i don't know (laughs) I thought I had it for a second, but I got nothing. That's a that's a good point. So yet wait until after that. Are you working on any UFO stories now that you can tell us about? Yeah.
1: Um, I mean, this is out there in the public already. So this isn't a, technically an exclusive. So I can safely tell you whether my article goes up or not. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, but... I'm reporting today in the post that Lou Elizondo is seriously thinking about running for Congress with the mindset of getting into Congress and forcing UFO disclosure to happen from the power of a U.S. congressman. So Lou is, has Lou's been teasing that and, and then just this week confirmed his interest about putting his hat in the ring, running for Congress. Winning and then spilling the UFO beans to everyone.
0: I love that. Is that so that's confirmed. Yeah. He's going he's gonna to do it or he's just toying with it at the moment?
1: Basically, he said if, if the UFO report that the Pentagon is going to release is bullshit or watered down in any way and is anything short of full disclosure of the truth, he's going to run for Congress and make it happen.
0: Oh, so he's waiting for the report to make it official basically that's correct oh that's awesome i hope i hope he can do it because like we said i don't think it's going to happen but i hope he can do it because i feel like there's been a lot of politicians that say they'll do it and then they get in and then nothing it just dropped completely out of their vocabulary they won't even talk about it after that so my hope is he will do it (laughs) yeah I have faith in him. But th- there was a big step. Obama took the question seriously when he was on, uh, I believe it was James Carden, Corden uh, mm-hmm. uh, last week. He actually took it seriously. Usually he brushes it off and jokes about it, but I feel like that was a big step. He took it serious.
1: Yeah, it was It was a much bigger step than our current president did.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. He. What did he say? Ask Obama? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we said a- uh, I, the question was
1: great. It was just kind of like, "Hey, the Pentagon's putting together this UFO report. Pilots are like uh, encountering these things, and, and the military saying it's a safety hazard. Like, uh, do you support uh, this this report that the Pentagon's going to go put out?" And and Biden was like, "Go ask Obama." And then he like ripped <laughs> his microphone out, and then like literally ran off stage. <laughs>
0: You know, someone pointed out that he was the only candidate that did not talk about UFOs on either side. Yeah. He's the only one. And miraculously, he's the one that gets elected. There's oh, a whole man. story there, I think. You need to,
1: everyone listening needs to go back and watch Biden answer that question because then you will, like, the way he literally rips his microphone off and quickly exits stage left. Like, he couldn't get out of there fast <laughs> enough.
0: Which could tell you something right there that he knows something and he doesn't want to say it made him too uncomfortable yeah that yeah maybe <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I like to I like to look into it a little more but anyway all right Stephen man this has been awesome this is I could do this all day this has been so much fun I appreciate you taking some time and gracing us with your presence sure we'll have to do it again but I appreciate it check out uh, stephengreenstreet.com, and you can check out the basement office hopefully new episodes coming soon and then that uh, article you're releasing will hopefully be out by the time we drop this is it supposed to be today you thinking I'm thinking today yeah okay awesome well we will we will look for that definitely and thanks so much man again we uh, really appreciate it this has been fun all right man have a good day bye yeah you too we'll see you next time (laughs)